Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw, and once again, today, I will be joined by the fantastic Mark Schindler, a writer for Basketball News, and of course, for the WNBA, who also does a podcast at a whole lot of places. Last time he was on uh, over the weekend, we covered potential deals with the Indiana Pacers. Today, we are diving deep into Mark's other area of expertise, the NBA draft, talking about Jalen Duran and the battle between Tari Eason and Jeremy Sohan to be the power forward that steals New York Knicks fans' hearts. All that and more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. We want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. We're now available on all platforms, and that includes on YouTube. Well, who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Schall, a play-by-play broadcaster, uh, currently in the offseason, so it's all about the Knicks right now. Typically, I would be joined by Alex Wolf, the fantastic editor-in-chief of The Strickland. You can check out all of their Knicks coverage at thestrick.land. And without further ado, uh, because it's a great episode, let's get into it, talking NBA draft, and specifically uh, Jalen Duran, Benedict Matherin, and a couple of others right here on Locked on Knicks. Let's transition uh to the future, um, obviously, you, you've done a ton of draft coverage. I know you and you and Caitlin Cooper are doing some fantastic stuff. I, I believe Thank that's you. that's for Indy Cornrows, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then also with with of course with our guy Jake. Uh, I wanted to start off here. I, I didn't I didn't send you this question, but I, I just kind of thought of it on the run. Um, doing deep dives on all these prospects. Let's just maybe rewind to two months ago. Who's the prospect, either good or bad, you've you've most changed your opinion on um, going through this process? Oh wow, good or bad. That's a good question. I uh, I genuinely and like normally a, a way too optimistic and upbeat person at times, um, except the Knicks did do their very, very damn best to, to, to make me feel downtrodden this year. I was very excited for how things were going to go. That did not, not turn out. Um, I think and it's less about like being down on him. I think it's just more I am lower on Benedict Matherin than I think um, consensus seems to be like. I think he's a perfectly fine and understandable lottery pick. Um, some of the, I mean, like there are a lot of Pacers fans who would like to see him get selected at six. I cannot get there. Um, I think that he does a lot of fun stuff that is useful and intriguing as an off ball player, uh, as a shooter, but like the defense is, is very bad right now. And I think he's much more somebody who like, I mean, I've, I think that there's a lot of water carrying that gets done for saying like, well, this guy has athletic tools and a big wingspan, so he's going to be good eventually. Like where I'm at with Benedict, like. I just, I mean, I think the best, the better outcomes for him are going to be like, okay, he probably gets to being like a C plus to maybe be an up B minus defender. Like he's going to get beat back door a lot. He's going to have some issues playing up against bigger wings. I, I don't think that, um, you know, he's necessarily somebody who I view as just becoming a massively better defender in the league. And the issues I have right now with his handle, um, I should say he has with his handle. Like, I don't think that those are going like, I mean, those are not just things that get better instantaneously in the league. Um, It's really hard to just grow a handle out of thin air. And I I think his is really disjointed right now. He doesn't have a lot of shake to it. It's very wide out. 
So there are some ways it could tighten up, but I also just don't think that there's going to be a lot of creation for him outside of his own jumper. Um, so I, for me, that's not a player that I'm, I'm, I'm there with six right now. Um, I still think he's a really interesting and good prospect, but yeah, I think overall he's much more uh, somebody that I've definitely gotten a little bit lower on. It was it was interesting because we had um, Corey Tullaba on yesterday, and he said you could you could lay the uh, audio of what you just said and what he just said. He was talking about Malachi Branham, but it was yeah. it was basically the same thing. And I'm kind of interested, like when you when you're doing evaluations, how what do you look for in terms of a guy's potential defensive growth? Like because obviously, you said like Matherin, long wingspan, Branham, long wingspan, and then you have um, someone like. Johnny Davis, who doesn't necessarily have the same athletic tools, though. I mean, it, it, I guess it depends on what you're saying in terms of athletic tools, because he's like he's incredible at getting around screens and stuff. So maybe he's not the best example of this, but someone who's more high effort, but less toolsy. And, and and what do you what do you look for when you project guys to the NBA in terms of the balance of those two things? And like, where would you almost rather someone be deficient? Yeah, I think that was a really great way to put it, like in terms of talking about Matherin and uh well, Branham actually, I mean, he is a, a limited athlete in some ways. Like he has some really interesting ways in like the way that like his, his flexibility is really impressive in terms of what he can do side to side and his yeah. his explosiveness from there. But like same thing with like like Mathurin. Like I think he just doesn't see screens very well a lot of the time. He doesn't track guys very well off the ball. He can get lost quite a bit. That stuff like I think a lot of it is just focus to a degree. And I don't know how much that's going to improve in the league. Like I think there are ways that it can, but – um, I don't love his screen navigation. Um, I think that he can really get uh, taken out by some screens. He's not good at dipping his shoulder, and he gets just caught a lot. Like so often you'll be watching an Arizona game, and he'll just call out a late switch because he's he's not getting over the screen. Um, and so I do think like there's some stuff like his defense um, was better at times during his freshman year, in my opinion. So, I mean, it makes sense, you know, with, with how high his usage was here, how much stuff he did running in transition and off the ball, I get his defense taking a step back. Um, but I also just think like part of it is not just uh, necessarily getting better. Like a lot of what I'm necessarily looking for would be, um, are they seeing things? Are they reacting to it? Because uh, like when I look at somebody like Paolo Vancaro this year, he got a lot of crap for his defense. And I just thought a lot of it was effort, for being honest. Like a lot of people were like, oh, I'm worried about can he play defense in the league? And I think um, part of it is from having watched him play like AAU and, and at UIBL and knowing like he was a defense first prospect for a lot of his time coming up. Um, he's very capable of being a good defender. It's just more like part of it, Duke's defense was bad all around. They were so slanted in what they did offensively that it didn't matter at times. Mark Williams was always protecting the rim for them. Um, so you give a little bit more leeway. But in looking at the roles that these guys are playing, I think especially being more of an off-ball guard or wing, if you're not able to keep up and track uh, track your offensive player. It's just it's it's a lot harder to be like I I, I just I genuinely find like be, becoming a better off ball defender. Not that you can't do it, but if it's stuff where you're already not seeing those reads happen, um, like it's just a little bit harder to be more enthused about that growing. Like for AJ Griffin, it would be different for me because yeah. he just has like a deficit of games played. So I think there's more confidence. Like okay, if this guy just gets a ton of reps, that feel could really improve for him. Um, but for somebody who has played a ton of games and has been around it a lot, it, it, I don't know. It just it makes it a little bit more difficult to to see parsing out, um, you know, developmentally. But I do think like in terms of like just improving technique on like trying to get around screens and stuff like that, I think that can improve um, if it's like a concerted effort. But like like you mentioned with Johnny Davis is a great example because he's just a very clear 
um, like his lateral explosiveness and um, his ability to play in tight spaces is an athletic trait, even if it's not like what you would consider necessarily like, you know, your typical bigger, faster, stronger athlete. But um, so, yeah, I think in terms of just like seeing, you know, if, if things are technique issues, if your footwork can improve, like that stuff, that's all coachable. It's all stuff you can work on. If it's something that you're not seeing or processing uh, quickly enough, like that's more, that's a lot harder stuff to develop and see playing out. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I feel like it's it's IQ versus effort. And sometimes people just yeah. group those things together when they're like, it's very important to differentiate. Why is this guy struggling? Like someone like Ben Simmons, who was a disaster in, in college at LSU, like yeah. someone could have misread that as like, ah, you know, he's just not a smart defender. And then it's like, no, like he just he didn't he didn't care that much, seemingly. Um, And mm -hmm. maybe I, I don't know if that's true with Paolo as well. And like, I know Paolo wasn't even like necessarily like all bad at Duke defensively. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of it's hard to take guys out of context but i guess that's why people like you evaluate this stuff full-time like do at such a high level um speaking of defense though uh let, let's get into uh jalen duran real quick someone we touched on uh when jake was on the podcast actually but haven't really covered a whole lot outside of that and to me the the pitch if you're taking jalen duran is he he needs to be that big that just cannot get played off the floor in a playoff series and i think on this podcast, we were really excited about Mitchell Robinson in his second season and certainly for stretches of his third season because I thought he was going to be that guy. Like, I remember yep. his, his first two years in the NBA when he's blocking James Harden's step back threes and, and just having moments like that where you're like, oh, that's not normal for a guy his size. And then he bulked up this year. Obviously, he became a little bit better around the rim, just became a monster of an offensive rebounder but seemingly lost a little bit of that juice in, in terms of his ability to move on the perimeter. And, and, and to be totally fair, that was never really tested in a high-intensity setting. It was mostly tested in, in games where the Knicks were down by 33 points in the middle of February. It, it was hard to say whether that was there definitively or not, but where I was optimistic was I, I was banking on the fact that he could be that guy. It's looking less and less like he's that person. Jericho Sims has shown little bits and pieces of that, but again, just not in the right context. I think if you're the Knicks and you're taking Jalen Duran, it's because you're thinking he, he's a sure thing that he can be sort of the ultimate Swiss army knife skeleton key, however you want to frame it for you defensively and maybe with a little bit of upside offensively do, do you think he's that person or is he maybe a notch below that defensively or is it kind of a wait and see thing for him all right guys we'll be back to uh get further into this conversation on Jalen Duran. but first I want to remind you that one live NBA draft show is not enough for locked on every show is going live on draft night so join me 15 minutes before our pick at locked on Knicks on YouTube and for the immediate reaction from your local expert subscribe to locked on Knicks on YouTube so you know when I go live and today's episode is brought to you in part by Prize Picks. All right, NBA fans, are you looking for a daily fantasy option for the NBA? Then you need to try the award-winning app, Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love it, and we know you will too. All you have to do is pick two to five players and an over-under on their projections, and you can win up to 10 times on any entry. It's just you versus the projected numbers. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Prize Picks is safe and offers fast withdrawals. You can use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. And PrizePix offers any prop you can think of from points scored to rebounds, even steals. They also allow mixed sport entries, so you could throw out, I don't know, uh, more goals scored by the Tampa Bay Lightning or runs scored by the New York Yankees in a specific games. And as noted, they don't just offer NBA. They they talk, they offer college football, NFL, MLB, soccer, MMA, so much more. So for limited time, PrizePix is an exclusive no-brainer of an offer for all of our users. You can get $50 for free if a player in your first PrizePix entry scores a single point, but you must use code NBA. That's right. This is an exclusive offer available to Lockdown fans. Sign up today and use code NBA for $50 for free if you're 
first player in your prize picks entry scores a single point. I think there's a legitimate, like, and I'm not trying to sound hot takey, but I think there's a legitimate chance where he ends up the best defensive player from the class. Um, like some of the things, and I wrote an article about this too, that, that we can explain it even better than I can in, in words, but like, or I guess spoken words, I should say, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, it's, uh, you know, what he can do in terms of ground coverage is what I view as being the most important thing in the NBA right now in how you play defense. Like, I think there's been this giant push of like, oh, well, you, you don't want to draft a big, you don't want to do this, you don't want to do that, you don't want to pay a big. I think to me, it's less about like, you know, this idea like, oh, well, you can just pay JaVale McGee the half, you know, you know the biannual exception, you'll be fine. And like, yeah, he can be your backup. But to be a starting caliber center in the league um, and somebody who can actually play crunch time minutes, like that's been an issue for Miles. Part of that is having Domas on the same team, but like even then, like there are situations where it's not easy for him to be on the court, or maybe it's better for somebody else to be on the court. For me, I view Jalen as being somebody who can be kind of a do everything defender. Uh, I'm not there with like full one through five switchability. There aren't really that many guys that actually exist that can do that. Um, but he already displayed real coverage versatility at Memphis. He has a lot of rawness in his technique, like his footwork can really improve. Um, but he's somebody like Memphis would be willing to switch and he'd be on the slot. Somebody, the ball would get pitched to the weak side corner. He's on, on, on uh, you know, on, in the strong side corner and he's on the weak side slot and he's rotating over and making that block. Like he had this block against Virginia Tech um, where he came from uh, opposite dunker spot to block a floater and it wasn't a goaltend. Um, like he is probably the, well, I mean, like Chad is obviously an incredibly good rim protector, but in terms of like the sheer vertical pop, and ability to blow things up the rim, I think he's second to none in the class. Um, and like he's he's comfortable playing up closer to the level right now. He's actually really good using his hand activity and pick and roll, something that normally takes a long time for for guys to develop as bigs in the NBA. Um, I think there's still a lot of work to be done in terms of you know finding his feel as a primary rim protector. He's a lot better help side right now, but that's stuff that you know it comes in in you know o- over time in the NBA. Like it took Miles Turner three or four years to become a really good primary rim protector and, and uh, you know, figure out some of this stuff as a deep drop defender, but already like, like Jalen comes in um, obviously not having the full on consistency yet, but I do think he showed out incredibly well. Like it wasn't just flashes defensively. Like this was very much somebody who was a dominant defender at the college level already. Do you, what do you see as his ceiling on the offensive side of the ball? Because I think Knicks fans hearing this conversation and wanting to sign up for this have just, kind of gotten a little burnt out on Mitchell Robinson where every yeah. year we, we we've literally I think we've done this podcast for three or four years and every single offseason we have the same conversation like you know if he could just add like a drop step if he could have like a like over shoulder righty hook over shoulder lefty hook if he could take one dribble from the elbow and explode into the paint and leverage his athletic ability that would that would just transform who he is as a player and it just it never really happened for him and you see that a lot with with these bigs that are sort of pure dive guys where it because that's the role they're asked to play early in the NBA and and on an NBA court they never get a chance to do anything else they never really expand their game beyond that do you see him as someone with a very cap ceiling as an offensive player do you see room for a little growth there do you see room for a lot of growth like who is he ultimately as an offensive player part of the reason I'm high on him like I I have him as the um the I would I would be comfortable taking him fifth or sixth in this class honestly like I'm I'm that high on him and I think um offensively for me part of where i would have pause with the knicks is i do not like the idea of pairing him with julius randall at least at this stage i think maybe in time like it could make sense but right now um to me jalen Duren is very much somebody who if you're going to get the most out of him offensively you have to lean into what he does 
Uh, and I don't think that's going to happen necessarily with Julius on the roster. Like, I think you can do some of it, but it's not the same. Like, to me, uh, Jalen is a much more uh, exciting prospect offensively than than Mitch was. Uh, and that's not to be harsh to, harsh to Mitch. Like, he was so much about, like, what he does, has as an athlete and as a roller and what he showed already, you know, before as a as a rim protector and shot blocker. To me, Jalen, like, he – even when he was at Montverde, like, he showed real – um, chops as, as a as a as a post playmaker, uh, running DHOs, being a playmaking hub, like he makes really quality passes, and that really showed up uh, throughout his time in Memphis. That it got a lot better as the year went on. His processing and decision making was pretty, um, you know, it was it, it, he had some real rough patches to start the year. Part of that was them not really having a real ball handler, but it improved as the year went on. And I think especially in that the uh, conference championship game against Houston, you saw that in droves, like what he could do on the short roll, what he was doing. You know, even just playmaking from from playing at the elbows or playing in in the dunker spot when he can look and see everything. Um, so I think automatically there's a lot more there than what Mitch had as a foundation. Um, obviously has what he can do as a roller and his pop is insane. Like the vertical, um, his vertical spacing is very legit. I do think the biggest thing in terms of what his ceiling capper is going to be is what happens with his in between game because I do think like I would I would say that his handle is a, a little bit better than Mitch's right now, probably even. A, a little bit better than a little like um that's not saying a ton like mitch's handle is very uh it's rough but it, in terms good, of like, like once a, every once every 40 games to like dribble yeah. by someone from like 50 feet out but exactly. outside outside of that that uh blue literal blue moon uh not yeah so much. no exactly like uh jalen already is like comfortable like doing you know if he's starting off at the top of the key you know doing uh you know, taking four or five dribbles down to the, to the slot to, to to run a dribble handoff like that's it sounds minute but like somebody who's 18 years old that's that's good especially considering yeah. he's he's a full-time five like there are guys who it takes a year or two in the league to get comfortable running dhos like even miles turner just got better at that over the last year or two um so I have confidence in that he's comfortable taking one or two two dribbles off the off the catch on the roll. A lot's just going to be what happens with his intermediate game because again, especially with him being like he plays functionally a lot bigger than six nine, of course. Um, but I think you know even in that Houston game, and I point out in that piece that I wrote, uh, Houston was willing to come up and play up on him on the roll. So like they would send somebody like they'd be you know like two or three feet below the free throw line to meet him. What happens if they just sit back, I think, is the biggest question because his touch on floaters is really rough right now. Um, he showed a little bit with his mid-range jumper. I think he shot around like 36 or 37 percent on around 40 this year, which isn't bad, but it's not great. Um, and I think his jumpers improved since when he was a senior at Montverde. Uh, but that's still, again, not saying a ton. I don't have any confidence in the three-pointer. If it's not there right now, like I, that the amount of work and um, – stuff that would actually have to go on for that to become something where defenses care is like, it's just probably not going to happen in my mind. But I do think, you know, if you can really, uh, a, a lot, this is a lot where Intel will come in. Like, what is his work ethic? Like, how does he view himself? How does he want to be in the NBA? And I think if somebody was really to get, to get him to buy him and say, okay, you are working the floater. Like that's something you're really going to work on. You're going to work on, you know, a quick push shot or you're really going to work on your post footwork because right now he is not a good post player. Like he's pretty one hand dominant. Um, everything is trying to get back to his right hand. He can't really finish with his left right now and also just doesn't really try to. Um, so that's something that's an easy tendency to pick up on. But also I think the issue is just like his footwork in the post, I don't think is very good right now. Um, a lot too is going to like, he's very strong, but I think that finding out how to use his strength more in the post is going to be important for him. 
Um, and I think you saw that a ton in, in the Gonzaga game. Like Chet just absolutely bodied him in the post by using yeah. his technique and positioning. And I think that's stuff that can improve. But again, like to what level? But to me, that's something I'm very much willing to bet on. Yeah, I think it's I think part of what intrigues me with him was just his his context or or lack thereof. And it's almost similar to where the Knicks have had success or every team has had success drafting Kentucky guys where mm-hmm. it seemed like I, I don't want to I don't watch enough of Memphis to throw out like that team was poorly coached. But I would just but it was almost one of those situations where you have too much talent and, and a lot of ill fitting talent. And I know yeah. their point guard play wasn't really figured out till the second half of the year. And and I almost I almost always get excited when, when a team I like draft someone like that because I'm like, all right, clearly there's there's something untapped there. And, and maybe maybe it's not massive or maybe it is massive but i'm going to be pleasantly surprised by some aspect of his game just by putting him in an nba system um even if it's not a perfect one all right i want to i want to finish up on two guys we've we've been grouping together the the whole process so i'll I'll just keep doing it right or wrong uh jeremy sohan and uh tari easton who both of whom i think have intrigued knicks fans quite a bit both of whom i think are are contingent on the knicks wanting to move off julius randall if not I, i just it just doesn't really make any sense to draft either of them but um, I wonder uh, which of those two you're higher on for the Knicks and what you what you think of the balance between where Sohan just seems to have this solidity in terms of what he's going to be defensively and, and you just know you're getting a really good guy on that end. And it's sort of like that old adage like that we, we keep bringing up like, oh, who's going to stick on the floor in the playoffs? Who, who could you plug into the finals and play? He, he feels like that kind of dude on defense and on offense, obviously, I, I think so much of his game is just going to be contingent on on who he is as a shooter. But it seems like from a IQ perspective, he's going to fit in wherever offensively. While Tari is almost more like this mystery box, and it's someone like, oh, you, you love the aggressiveness, like you love what he does in terms of generating steals and, and getting out in transition and, and and some of the finishing. But like, how much of that is translatable? How much of like his sort of like freakish physical talent and size and, and the huge hands are translatable? And it almost it will almost say a lot about the Knicks if they go one of those two directions and those two guys are on the board, which one they take in terms of what they're aspiring to be, what they see in those two guys and how, how they kind of view what they want out of the power forward position going forward. All right, guys, in this final segment, we are going to get into Tari Eason and Jeremy Sohan. But first, I want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? That would suck. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. You can save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more from the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer, and most importantly, they have everything you could possibly need from brake parts to tail lamps to motor oil and even new carpets so go explore their easy to use website today to find a solution to your auto part needs all you have to do is go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in there how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com yeah i think what's tough um like i tend to lean a little bit more in atari just because i have a lot more belief in the offense coming along um like you mentioned with Sohan like he does a lot of things that are just like what you love to see from a basketball player like he makes good decisions he does the right thing with the ball in his hands the defense is is incredible as you mentioned but I also think what's difficult is uh 
as good as he is as a defender, he's not someone I would consider an elite athlete, which I do think is something that's going to show up more in the NBA. Again, I think he's going to be a very good defender, even from, from day one, probably like, obviously there's going to be like a learning curve for sure. But um, I, I think, you know, in terms of, what he brings uh, offensively, like you mentioned, so much is determined on the on the jump shot. And there is just no data from his entire youth career and playing at Baylor to back up him becoming a better jump shooter. Like the his jump shot is like very upper body heavy. So his mid range is like, like actually kind of OK. But I also think like that's again, that's just not something you're going to get a lot of. Um, in the NBA or you have to be so good at it that it's demanding of doing it like 45 percent or better. Um, but also like, that's just not impacting in defense. Like this is not to like talk man out of bio, but like as good as his mid range jumper has gotten defenses are still willing to let it be a pressure point because they're like, okay, well, if you just miss those, it's not really doing anything to us. And even if you do hit them, we're fine with letting you take them because it's contested. It's not going to count for as much as, as it would be if you were getting to the rim, we're cool with it. Um, you know, I, and it's, it's a lot harder to get what you get out of Jeremy's playmaking if he's uh, if he isn't becoming that that shooter on volume who can draw closeouts, and part of what's difficult too, like like I mentioned with the athleticism, like he's just a pretty slow guy right now for his size. Like, uh, and that's not meant to be unfair, but like just even attacking off the close, like he can he can have like a good step or two on somebody, and it's not even that his handle's bad, but he just doesn't really generate a lot of speed going downhill. Guys can pretty easily catch up from behind and reconnect in front of him. And I do think that's going to be a problem uh, in the NBA. Like, I think he's somebody who could take advantage of a post mismatch, like just be aggressive and generate a foul if, um, if like a wing gets mashed up on him on, on a switch or something. But also, I just don't think that they're going to close out on him. So it's it's like it, I mean, the spacing could be really mucky, and especially like if he's playing alongside Julius Randle, um, that makes it even more interesting. Especially if you know, like with with where this team is at with Julius right now, I don't I don't know what how all that's going to go. Um, but as we saw last year, like you need guys who can space the floor and make decisions around Julius. And I think Jeremy can do one of those things, the other, not as much. Um, so that makes it a lot more difficult. Got it. And then where, where are you higher on Tari? Yeah. So I just believe a lot more in Tari's offense translating. So he's obviously very erratic. Like, don't get me wrong. His offense is incredibly erratic. Um, I think that's the best way to describe his game. I would push back on two, and this is not anything you said, but I think there's been this uh, this thing going around saying like that teams are worried that Tari is low fuel. I don't have any intel on that, but in watching him play, I don't really have anything to go off of with that. I don't I don't really believe that. I think like he can make some questionable decisions, but he also has really good displays of feel too, both as a playmaker on offense and defense. So um, I haven't really gotten that one. Uh, as for like just his actual offense, I think the shot, even if it's a little bit wonky, like he tries to load it up and on his shoulder, which is not something very replicable, um, like outside of just straight catch and shoot. Um, like I think that's something that'll have to be tweaked with. But his general show on touch, I think, has been a lot better than Jeremy's, um, both on floaters and just on the jumper in general. Um, one of the things, and this is just my personal philosophy, I could, I, I don't know, this is how I tend to view it, but I think I really buy into players who have just this wide range of like, what are you doing sometimes? It can be frustrating to watch, but I think the um, having like an element of randomness to his game and that willingness to kind of try everything, even if of course it was like way too much most of the time at LSU, a lot of that is his coach and what that system was or wasn't. Um, but I think that I'm just more confident in that being able to play out 
into more pathways than, 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 you know, some of the lower ones that we're talking about. Like, yes, he's very one-handed dominant. He's always trying to go to his, go to his right hand. He does not want to go left ever. Um, he doesn't want to finish with his left. Like it's, it, it is a problem, but I also think like, okay, that's at least there is something to work with there. Like he is legitimately burst eating downhill. He does have good flashes of handle. Um, like again, it's once he has to go to his left hand, different story, but I do think like that's more something that, uh, you at least have a foundation like, okay, you're going to take shots and attack closeouts. You're not doing anything extra outside of that. I think being in a, in a more reined in segment or role could be really good for him. Um, you know, just to tighten down what he's being asked to do. Um, but I also think like part of it is you do want to explore some of that randomness with him and see what, what you can get out of it. Cause I just think I generally, generally, you know, in guys like that, I have a lot more belief in them just having some kind of growth that you're maybe not expecting um, and I mean, especially just defensively, I think that he has a higher defensive ceiling for me. That doesn't mean he's a better, like, Tar I mean, Jeremy's a, a better de defender right now. He's better technique. Um, but I think Tari in terms of what he can do in covering ground, um, and using his recovery skills is extremely important because if, all right, like, even if Jeremy plays perfect defense, if he gets beat, his recovery skills aren't at the same place where like, okay, if somebody gets a step on you, Tari can, can just. Even if if you, even if he makes a, a mistake or a misstep at the point of attack, he can get back in front, or he can he can strip you from behind. Like that's not Jeremy's game. Um, and that's not to say that one is better or worse, but I do think like again, those, a lot of Tari's mistakes defensively are more coachable things, trying to rein him in, but also being willing to let him. Uh, like I think his best role is going to be as a roamer and being somebody who's very aggressive on defense, but um, also finding some more stability in that too will be important. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing, I, I think, to boil down everything you're saying, it's almost like Tari on both ends of the floor just is a higher capacity, right? Like, if things go right, like, it's just going to top out on a higher level yeah. than it will with Jeremy. All right, well, uh, I'm I'm Team Tari because we've had a lot of smart people on, and they've all all really talked him up. Uh, it, it would be interesting because I know not a lot of people have him going as high as 11, but assuming the Knicks want to move off Randall, I, I think a fascinating fit. Uh, Mark, uh, appreciate you giving so much of your time uh, before I let you go, because it's, it's, a, it's a lot of, it's a lot of places, man. You're, you're, you're a workhorse. Uh, can you tell everyone yeah. one final time where they could find all, all, all the great stuff you do, both writing and talking? Well, I appreciate you having me on, man. We'll definitely have to do this again sometime. This was fun. And when, I appreciate when the, when the, the mythical Miles Turner trade. Does happen, <laughs> yeah. You'll, uh, you'll, you'll be, you, you, you know, we'll have you, we'll have Tony on with we'll Caitlin, yeah. if we can get her. Yeah. Uh, Just yeah, the we'll, entire round table of Pacers. Yeah. yeah Schwinn, we'll, 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 we'll throw Schwinn in. Yeah. It'll, it'll be like eight people because that's, <laughs> yeah. it, it'll, it'll be the equivalent of winning an NBA title, basically. That <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at MG underscore Schindler. Um, that's where I'm most active for all my works at. I, I, I do a lot of work covering the WNBA over at WNBA.com. The season has been awesome. I recommend checking in. Um, I have a Patreon because I'm still not a full-time employee right now. I just kind of work everywhere to make it work. Um, if you want more draft coverage, my podcast, Tag the Roll with, with Jake Rosen, is great. We're doing a live stream the night of the draft. If you're tired of hearing Jay Billis talk, you can come listen to us instead. So appreciate you having me on, man. Yeah, of course, man. I'm going to have that between that and the no ceiling show. I'm going to, I'm going to have to switch back and forth, but uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks again, dude. And uh, we'll be sure to have you back soon. Um, but thank you for everyone listening. I remember to like subscribe, comment, review all that good stuff. It's all extremely beneficial, but until next time, Gavin Shaw, talk to you soon. I'm on Thunnets.